open your Bible to two different places, two different places this morning. Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19 and Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at two extended passages from both of those. Revelation 19 and Ephesians chapter 6. Now, we're in brown bag summer. Now, what is brown bag summer? Well, I like to teach in series, but brown bag summer is, well, I just felt led to get away from the series for a few weeks and uh, just kind of let you be surprised by what we're, we're preaching on. And in fact, I'm, I'm even surprised myself because each week I come, <laughs> I come to my study time, I'm like, okay, Lord, what am I preaching on this week? This week, this morning, our message is becoming a warrior. Becoming a warrior. And we ended last week's message with a passage of scripture that was a sort of a call to arms to the men in our church, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, where the apostle Paul said, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Act like men, be strong. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we confess that you are sovereign, that you are all-knowing, and Lord, that your way is always best. God, we confess to you this morning that we have preferences, we have ways that we like to do things, but Lord, we are here this morning to subject our our will, our heart, our mind, our knee, Lord, to you. To fall in line with your sovereign design and your will in the world and in our own lives. So God, I pray that you will inhabit the word this morning. I pray that every ear will, every ear will hear exactly what you want them to hear. And God, we will be transformed by it. In Jesus' name, we all pray, amen. Amen. So even though last week was Father's Day, the Lord sort of directed me uh, to not focus on fathers, but to, but to back up and take a much larger view of an enormous problem in our culture today, and that is the relentless all-out assault on men and manhood. Not just fathers, but men and manhood. And it is a beginning to affect every age of men in our culture, all the way down to our children. And it has been so effective that men everywhere are running. We're running, looking for cover trying to find a way to avoid what's going on in the world and, and not be affected by it and not be taken down by it. But church, I'm, I wanna tell you this morning that I think that we are almost to a place with all that's going on, that Christian men are just about ready to look at what is going on in the world and rise up and say, enough is enough. I think we're very, very close to that happening. And there is no question that the culture has been taking a lot of shots at men. No question. 
But I'm gonna surprise you this morning to tell you that I think that also in some subtle and, and even some not so subtle ways that the church in America has also been taking some shots at men and manhood. And what do I mean by that? I would say that what I mean by that is that we wanna make sure, it seems like every church, the goal of Christian manhood is to make sure that every man turns out to be a really nice guy. It's like that's the ultimate goal of Christian manhood is to turn into a really, really, really nice guy. Now, I want you to hear me when I say that there is absolutely nothing wrong with being a nice guy. But I also want to be ultimately and completely crystal clear on this. Jesus Christ did not die on that cross just so that we could turn into nice guys. It is way, way, way more than that. And it seems like all of the world now, in the mind of Christians and non-Christians alike, the ultimate expression of Christian manhood is to turn into this really nice guy. And we've been so good at it that we can't, we can't say anything in church anymore that might offend somebody. We can't say anything in church anymore that might hurt somebody's feelings. Am I, am I speaking the truth there, church? Just help me out on this. All right, all right, just making sure. I wanna make sure that you're with me. But I wanna hit the pause button on that idea for just a second. Because I wanna make this really clear. If a church preaches the truth, then somebody is going to be offended. If a person in church speaks the truth, then it is highly likely that somebody is going to be offended. And that is why the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Galatians something I find very interesting. Galatians 5.11, he says, and I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, then why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. You know what he's saying? Let me, let me summarize it differently. Paul is saying, if I was preaching anything other than the cross, then I wouldn't be getting criticized. If I was preaching anything other than the cross, I wouldn't be getting persecuted. You know why? Because the cross is offensive. See, to tell people that we are sinners in need of a savior is offensive. To tell people that our way is not the way is offensive. To tell people that there is no way to heaven, there is no way to God unless you go through Jesus Christ, that's offensive. But there is a difference between being offensive with the truth and, the, and it being offensive because it is the truth. And that is why Paul was emphatic about the way that we as believers handle the truth with unbelievers. He was emphatic about how we interact with unbelievers because we should never use the truth of the gospel 
as a hammer or a weapon against somebody else. If you're using it that way, you're wrong. You hear me? If you're using the gospel and the truth of the Bible as a hammer or a weapon against somebody, you are using it and handling it completely wrong. Thank you, brother. The truth is offensive because it's the truth. We don't have to be offensive with it. The truth will stand for itself. So let me be really clear. Be really, really clear. It is not God's intent for any of our men, for any godly man to run roughshod over anybody. Anybody, period. Not physically, not emotionally, not spiritually. That is not God's call. It is not his permission to any man of God. God does not desire or suffer that at all. But the idea that you can't be honest about things in the church, the idea that you can't be honest about situations that you deal with in the church or in families or in, or in friendly settings, you know what's happening is that when you tell that to a man, you're telling a man not to be a man, and that's just one more reason for men not to show up in church, not this, just this church, but any church. And as I said last week, Church is the one place that men ought to be uh, receiving information and being equipped to be real men of God in a real world. This is where it's got to be happening because it's not going to happen outside of the church. And the famous Christian author, C.S. Lewis, many of you know who he is, he wrote a book called The Abolition of Man. And he wrote something really, really that was profound, in my opinion, about what we are doing to men and manhood. Here's what he said. We make men without chests, and we expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor, and we're shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings to be fruitful. We castrate the stallions and then we tell them we want them to multiply and to be fruitful. Church, you cannot castrate the stallion and have any produce. It doesn't work. And so what, what uh, C.S. Lewis was saying is, man, we can, we can change men. We can make them act not like men and we can get it all clean and tidy. We can get them to do whatever it is that we want them to do, but you cannot turn around then and expect for a man to produce what God intended a man to produce. I think that's why Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 14, where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. You know, he's saying, hey, you want to you want a clean barn? Well, you just keep the ox out. Keep the ox out of your barn. You can have a nice, clean, tidy barn. And if that's what you want, you're in great shape. But if you want what that ox will produce, you're going to have to clean up a few messes. And I think our churches across America have tried to become a little too clean, a little too tidy, a little too pristine. Because we don't want to clean up any messes. But if you want the increase, 
If you want the produce, we're going to have to put up with some messes so God can be what he needs to be in the lives of men. And men, if you run and you hide, if you try to shrink away from being the kind of man that God wanted you to be, you are not, hear me, you are not bearing the image of Jesus. You're not. Because there is the heart of a warrior in Jesus. And if, if you don't think so, you just, you just read his interactions with the Pharisees while he was here in the New Testament. You read those. And if, if that doesn't cut the mustard for you about the kind of warrior spirit that was in Jesus, then I want you to look at this passage with me. Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19. Verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe that was dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And with it, he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now to quote Ric Flair, whoa! <laughs> King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now when you read that passage, when you see that image of God, let me ask you something. Does that look like the let's everybody just get along, let's be cautious, let's not hurt anybody's feelings, super nice guy Jesus that everybody thinks that we're supposed to be worshiping? Does it sound like that Jesus? We have been led to believe that Jesus is just this great, awesome, super nice guy. That is not what we see when we read that passage of Scripture. What about the army behind him? You know who that is? That's us. That's us. That is believers from across the ages that are lined up behind our warrior king, ready to go to war. Amen? Man, I'm sick and tired. I'm literally, I am sick and tired of the followers of Jesus Christ being scared to speak truth, to claim victory in the name of Jesus because we think that Jesus is a little too nice for that and so we gotta be nice too. Get over it, people. That is not the Jesus that we serve. So men, I want you to know without any shadow of a doubt, 
that there is a warrior in you because that's how God made you. That is part of the image of God that you bear. And Lord knows that we are in a time and a culture where our men need to once again rise up in that warrior spirit and be the warriors that God made them to be. You're a warrior, whether you realize it or not, whether you wanna shrink away from it or not, you're a warrior. The only question is what kind of warrior will you be? Will you be a warrior that looks at the situation and goes, man, this, there's just too much going on. I can't do anything about this. I cannot make any difference. I'm gonna get my head blown off if I raise it up above the ground and you go into hiding, will you be that kind of warrior? Or will you be the kind of warrior that says, whatever it takes, I serve a God of the impossible and I'm in. My prayer this morning is that as I speak to the men in this congregation and any men that are hearing my voice uh, digitally uh, on Facebook, I pray that the men that are listening to me have the heart of that second warrior that says, whatever it takes, I'm in because I know my Lord. In order to be that kind of warrior, there's a few things that you need to know and I wanna share them with you this morning. First of all, a warrior must know his king. He's gotta know his king. So you gotta know who your leader is and who your king is because if you don't, you won't know where to go, you won't know what your mission is and you'll lack purpose. But when you know who your king is, when you know what he wants from you, then you know how to receive those directions and carry out what he has asked for you to do. And you realize how to both protect the kingdom of your king and expand the kingdom of your king at the same time. And one of the exciting things for every man who is a Christ follower in this building this morning is knowing that your king is the king. Your king is the king. Do you hear me? Your king is the king. That's why Paul wrote in two different places, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is nobody, nobody that will ever rise above our king. And it is time for us to act like we serve that king instead of one that can't take care of himself, much less take care of us. Man, you gotta know your king. You gotta know your weapons. You gotta know your weapons. See, a warrior has to know the tools of his trade because without your weapons, you can't go on the offensive. Now listen, weapons serve both a, a defensive uh, uh, posture and they also serve an offensive posture, but you cannot go on offense without your weapons. That's a suicide mission. If you wanna go on the offensive, if you wanna claim ground, if you want to advance, you must have your weapons. Now, I wanna be real clear about this. Your weapons of warfare they're found right here. They're found in the Bible. Your weapons of warfare, men, are found in the Bible. Well, that's a challenge. You know why? Because most people don't read this. And most men don't want to read this. And that's a problem because everything that we need 
and everything that we need to know is found right here in this book. Everything. Can you just imagine for a second, guys, you go out and you interview for a job and you take a job at Hella or, or you take a job at Continental Tire or any other of the places around here and they say, okay, we're ready to give you the job and we've got a training manual that you're gonna need to read so that you're ready to do the job and you go, <laughs> I don't need no stinking training manual. I know what I'm doing. What if you told HR that? How long do you think you would be employed there? That would be your first and last day. But you know what? This is exactly what we do with the word of God. This is our training manual. This is what we get our instructions from. This is how we know how to live. And most of us look at this too many times and go, I know what I'm doing. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is living, it is powerful, and it is sharper than any sword you will ever put in your hand. That is the word of God. And that is why we must, we must, we must, men, we must get in this word of God. This is not optional and we must treating it as if it is. It's time to get in the word of God because it is living, it's powerful, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Now let's look at what some of those weapons are. Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six. I'm gonna look at a passage that I know you're familiar with, but we're gonna look at it again this morning. Ephesians chapter six, verse 13. Paul says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Men, hear me. I know that there are days that you are so tired that you don't think you can take another step forward. I know there are days that you think that you have done everything that you can possibly do. I know there are days that you think you don't have an ounce of energy left in you, but men, what we need right now is men who will stand. When you got nothing left to stand, we we need men who will say, I will not give another inch of ground to the devil against my family, against my friends, and against my church. I will stand. When you've done all you can do, men, stand. We need some men today that are gonna stand. And then he continues, verse 14, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. When he says gird your waist with truth, he's not just talking about the truth of God's word, although that is part of it. You know what else he's talking about? He's talking about living with integrity, living with honor, so that you don't have to run around in circles trying to remember who you, what you said to who, so you don't have to dodge bullets of people accusing you of things that that you may or may not have done. Live with honor and integrity. Put on the, the belt of truth so that that helps you stand against the devil. 
And then he says the breastplate of righteousness. That's not just God's righteousness, although it is part of God's righteousness. That is living in such a way that your heart is protected against what the, the devil will throw at you. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's the righteousness. That's the breastplate of righteousness that God is talking about here. You live in such a way to not sin against God and then you're able to say, hey devil, whatever you got, whatever you got, big boy. So you put on those two things, verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let me just tell you what he's talking about there. Paul talks later about a peace that passes all understanding. A peace that passes, what is a peace that passes all understanding? I'll tell you what it is. When the bullets are flying and chaos is raining everywhere and you don't know which way to turn, you don't know where the next attack is coming from, you don't know what's gonna go wrong next, you can stand confident in the Lord in the middle of it all because you have a peace that passes all understanding because you know the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The faith, faith kind of covers it all. Faith that God is God. God is God. And he never goes back on his word. Every promise he made will be delivered on. Amen? Faith that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Faith that says, come on devil, I'll take whatever you got because my king is bigger than you. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. You know that the head is one of the most critical parts. You know why? Because it directs everything. It gives the directions for everything that we do. And it's also very vulnerable in battle. And when we put on the helmet of salvation, we are saying that we have a new leader, one who is transforming our mind, that our thoughts are not what they always used to be, but they are being subjected to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And as our leader who is a better leader, gives us instruction and direction. He always leads us in the right place. Knowing that, the helmet of salvation, put that thing on. And then he says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. You will never, ever, ever take on and win against the devil without the word of God. Some of you wonder why you keep going down the same rabbit hole again and again and again, why you keep losing the same battle again and again and again. It is because you are not using the word of God. And then... To top it all off in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, I'll tell you, you guys know I was in the army. I never saw any active 
a warfare situation. But we were in training all the time. And I had this conversation uh, Monday night. I was at uh, a, uh, a supper at uh, uh, Wayne City uh, First Baptist and uh, met some great people there. And uh, thank you, Don, for that invitation. It was great. And had a conversation uh, that kind of went down this road. And, and we got to talking about a place called uh, JRTC, the Joint Readiness Training Center in Fort Chaffee, Arkansas. Now, that is a full-blown, full-scale war uh, reenactment. Now, I was infantry, and we did everything that we did on the ground. We did it all on the ground. You walk everywhere you go, up a hill, downhill, up a hill, downhill, through the mud, whatever it is. You go everywhere on foot. But once in a while, you encounter a few things if you're an infantry soldier that you just don't have weaponry for. You have, you have nothing to engage and have any chance of success against what you are seeing on the opposite side of the battlefield. And you know what is really, really cool? Is when you call for air support and one of those A-10 warthogs comes flying low to the ground above your head, ready to take out whatever's on the opposite side of that battlefield, or you get an Apache helicopter that shows up, ready to fire some dead gum missiles right up the barrel of whatever's on the other side, and you say, Yes, more of that. Air support when you are on the ground and you are outgunned is a beautiful thing. And church, hear me. Prayer is your air support. When what is on the other side of the battlefield is too big for you, it is never too big for God and the power of prayer. Amen. And by the way, one thing about this passage of Scripture, there is nothing listed there, not one single thing for your back. Not one thing. You know why? We should never be in retreat, church. The men of God, the army of God should never, ever, ever be in retreat. We have a God that is bigger than the devil and we take him on with everything we got face to, amen? We don't run. We don't run. It's time to stop running. Let me give you a couple of other weapons of warfare that you might not think about when you think about what your weapons are. Revelation 12, 11. I'll put this one on the, on the screen for you. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. I don't know if you find that strange or not. But they overcame him not only by the blood of the lamb, but by the word of their testimony. What in the world does that mean? That means don't you ever, ever, ever forget what God has done for you through the course of your, your spiritual journey. Don't you ever forget it. Because that is one of the most powerful weapons and tools that you have at your disposal. Because you know why? Here's what the devil will do. He will come to you and he'll start saying, man, you see how bad things are right now? You, you see how much you're hurting right now? Do you realize how much pain you're in right now? Do you know how bleak 
this looks right now. And if all you do is you look at your current circumstances, he can twist that and get you off course. But if you look at him and say, let me tell you something, devil. Let me tell you all the things that God has done for me since I gave my life to him and he's never failed me yet and he's not gonna fail me now. Man, that's a powerful weapon. Use it. Use it. And then here's one other that I think is probably going to catch some of you by surprise. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 21 and 22. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and they were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And now when they began to sing, I love this. When they began to sing and to praise, then the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah and they were defeated. When they began to sing, then the Lord set ambushes. Do you know that praise is a weapon? Praise is a weapon. And church, that's why it grieves my heart anytime that any church, whether it's this one or any other, comes and they bring half hearted praise to the church service at the beginning. You know why? Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against spiritualities and principalities of darkness. And they're all around this building. And if you don't think so, you don't understand your Bible. And when we come here ready to worship the Lord and receive from his word, there is spiritual warfare going on. And when we refuse to engage in worship and praise, we are giving them ammunition to fight against us. God forgive us when we decide I don't need to sing. God forgive us. We go, well, I don't feel like praising the Lord today. God forgive us when we think that's somebody else's job, it's not mine. God forgive us when we fail to give him our wholehearted, full-throated praise and adoration. In fact, I tell you what, men, this is just for the men. I just want you to hear how it sounds when you really do what God tells us to do. You see that part of the passage where it says, praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever? You see that? You see that? Yes? Okay. I'm going to say praise the Lord. I want you to shout that back behind me. And then I'm going to say his mercy endures forever. And then I want you to shout that back to me. I want you to hear how it sounds when we engage the spiritual warfare that's going around us with praise. You guys ready? You ready? All right, here we go. Praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. Praise the, Lord. Praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. Men, that is what we are called to do. Yeah. 
You say you don't know how to sing, that's all right, just shout it out. Just shout it out. We will fight back the devil every time we gather and you can fight him every day with everything you got. You just start singing, praise the Lord, his mercy endures forever. Get out of here, devil, I've had enough. You gotta know your enemy. You gotta know your enemy. It's, it's a really bizarre and weird thing in that the Bible tells us that Satan is an angel of light. He's an incredible imitator of everything that God has done. And sometimes he's, he's like a terrorist, right? Who has moved into the middle of whatever you're doing, whether it's your family, your church, your friends, whatever the case may be. And sometimes you don't even know that he's living right in the middle of you. And in the meantime, he's taking pot shots at you and your wife, your, your husband, your family, your kids, your church, and you don't even know where it's coming from. And guess what? Instead of fighting Satan, you know who we fight? Each other. Instead of fighting our real enemy, we wind up fighting each other. And then he steps back and says, man, this is so good. This is why Jesus prayed so much for a unified church, because when we're unified, Satan knows he's in trouble. He's in trouble. But when we start fighting with each other, as most churches in America do, then his work becomes that much easier. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter said, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he means to devour people. He means to destroy people. He means to take every piece of joy, every bit of hope, every bit of, of uh, expectation about what you think that God has promised and throw it on the trash heap and stomp on it and burn it until it's smoking. And men, if you think that you can avoid the fight by running from it, then you are making your family, you are making your friends, you are making your church even more vulnerable because you are the front line of defense. And God, your family, your friends, and your church are counting on you to do what only you can do and what God made you to do. You gotta know your enemy. You gotta know your allies. You gotta know who you're fighting with because in the heat of the battle, you gotta know who you can count on. This is another reason why unity in the church is so important. You gotta know who you can count on to engage this fight with the devil. And you gotta keep them near to you because we cannot fight alone. We just can't fight alone. Now, you know what amazes me is how, how, many, how many walks of life, how many facets of life, how many situations in life, we totally get that. We totally get it that, that we can't do this alone, but we seem, to, we seem to suffer with this idea that we can do it alone within church. Let me, let me give you a great example of how the rest of the world sort of gets this 
and we seem to miss it in the context of church. Watch this, watch this video clip. Some of you will recognize it. You better come outside. Got him. Forever. The bullets kept hitting him. Forever. It was him, wasn't it? That marshal you warned us about. Stockburn. Stockburn and his deputies. He said, tell the preacher to come in the morning. Why you? Don't you warn us about this Stockburn fella? It sounded like you knew him. Spider asked you that himself. Is it true? The vote you took the other night showed courage. You voted to stick together. That's just what you should do. Spider made a mistake. He went into town alone. Man alone's easy prey. Only by standing together are you going to be able to beat the Lahoods of the world. No matter what happens tomorrow, don't you forget that. Man alone is easy prey. Do you think Clint Eastwood has spiritual insight that we don't? I'm pretty sure he doesn't. But I promise you this. He's more on target about this reality than most of us will ever admit in church. You know what we want to do? We want to run around and do, do life. We want to do our Christian walk on our own, and it will not work. You will go down. You will be taken out if you want to try to do this on your own. And the devil delights in it. And we stand by and we watch it happen. This is part of why Sunday Sync is so important. You have to build those friendships. You've got to build those relationships that in the middle of all of those, you find a handful of people that you know you can do life with, that you can count on, that you can call when you need help and they'll show up and they'll be there to fight the fight with you or they'll call in air support on your behalf. Amen? We can't do it alone, church. You got to know who your allies are and you got to stand with them. One last thing real quick. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. You got to know worth, what's worth fighting for. You got to know what's worth fighting for. You know what, men? Here's something I promise you. Because God put a warrior spirit in you, whether you recognize it or not, you're going to fight for something. Do you know that? You're going to fight for something. You're going to fight for promotion. You're going to fight for more money. You're going to fight for a bigger house. You're going to fight for a better car. You're going to fight for more land. You're going to fight for more favor. You're going to fight for any number of things. 
But none of those things have eternal value. None of those things will last into eternity. There's an old saying, I know you know it. Only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for God will last. Men, church, it's time to engage the battle. It's time to rise up and not be offensive with the truth, but not be afraid of the truth anymore. It's time to stand with each other. It's time to dive into the word. It's time to sing the praises and the testimony of God in your life. It's time to do all of those things so that we not only protect the kingdom, we advance the kingdom of God. Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm gonna ask everybody to stand. Maybe you need to invite Jesus into your life today. Maybe you need him as your Lord and Savior. That can, everything about your life can change in just a minute. I'll meet you right up here. I'll pray with you. And we'll ask the Lord to save you. Become your Lord and King both now and forevermore. And to join his kingdom today. The rest of you men, I strongly, strongly urge you today to come, kneel, commit, and be ready to stand. Father, we give this time to you. We give response to you. And Lord, may you be honored and may you be satisfied and pleased with what each of us do. In Jesus' name, amen.